Security, you were the last one to leave last night. Did you see or hear anything strange? Well, I thought I heard something as I was leaving, but it could have been anything. Sweeping teams of two. Nobody goes in alone. This place is not going to open until every room is clear. I'll go. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Any idea about a weapon? Something big. The board is hosting a gunner preview here tomorrow night. It would be a disaster for us if we had to postpone. We may have somebody on our hands who makes Jeffrey Dahmer look like a Cub Scout. You have to let the gala go on. Something's wrong. Come on, what's the matter with you? Salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode eight of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Before I introduce our guest, let's introduce our co-hosts for the week. As always, Mr. Derek B. from Cinema Attack. How you doing, Derek? Hey, yo, it's glad to be here again, man. <laughs> we'll explain that in a second, folks. Uh, Don Anelli from the Horror Mo- uh, the Horror Movie Countdown. How you doing, Don? Ah, great to uh, finally be here. Just uh, got off this weird trick through the uh, got through this weird trick through the uh, 
Great Lakes and uh, suddenly found myself in the middle of Chicago. So uh, just trying to get my bearings. But uh, what's going on? <laughs> How you doing, Don? All right. So this week we welcome our first, uh, the first guest that we've ever had on the show. And he is now our first returning guest as well. Please, everyone, welcome Mr. Bo Ransdell from the Dark Parade. How you doing, Bo? I am tripping balls thanks to Jungle Juice. <laughs> jungle Juice actually sounds really good. I, I can go for some of that, I think. It, I think Jungle Juice is just ever clear in whatever juice you use. Hell, <laughs> hell we, uh, I feel like we all drank the Jungle Juice and we thought we did the show already. <laughs> Folks, uh, this is going to be a weird episode because this is actually take two. We have already done this entire episode, but for some reason, the glorious technology known as Skype decided not to record the episode after I hit the record button. So here we are doing it all uh, a second time. Hopefully that means that we're better. We've had practice now, right? It, yeah, we already know how we all feel, so we know how to <laughs> react to the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing's going to be a surprise for us, but hopefully for you great listeners, there are still some surprises here left for us. So this week we are looking at the 1997 creature feature, The Relic, starring Penelope Ann Miller, Tom Sizemore, and the Academy Award winning Linda Hunt. This movie is an hour and 50 minutes long. That's right, 150, almost two hours, which is a little bit lengthy for a creature feature. So let's see if that length actually works for us. And holy shit, that sounded really sexual. Yeah, okay. it's not how long it is, it's how you use it. Thank Especially you that so much. Scene. <laughs> All right, so uh, our synopsis for The Relic is as follows. A homicide detective and an anthropologist try to destroy a South American lizard-like god who's on a people-eating rampage in the Chicago Museum. And yes, after I say it an hour later, it still tickles me. People-eating rampage sounds spectacular. That's either going to be the name of my next band or my next movie. I haven't decided. <laughs> He's the two-eyed, two-horned, museum-based people leader. Ooh, I like it. Ooh. <laughs> All right, folks, so as we actually have two people on this episode who have also read the novel, uh, The Relic, written by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. That, of course, is Derek and Bo. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest. And Bo, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with both the book and, you know, your your kind of history with the with the movie as well. You know, did you see it in theaters? What would you think of it the first time you saw it? Stuff like that. Go ahead. Well, I just learned to read, <laughs> and so I thought The Relic would be a good place to start. Now, I read the, the book uh, because when I was a kid, I loved pulpy horror novels, and that's exactly what The Relic was. And so when the movie was announced, and, and my you'll have to forgive me because my memory is not 100% on whether they announced that they were making the movie and then I read the book before I saw the movie or I read the book and then I heard that they were making a movie. But regardless of how that worked out, I read the book before I saw the movie and I remember being excited about it because I'm the kind of nerd that when I go see a movie and I've read the book, I don't, I don't go in with my nose in the air of like, well, let's see how this sucks compared to the book. I'm like, I hope they get most of this right. And if they get the parts right that I like that I'm really going to like the movie. And so I saw it in the theater and uh, for a couple of reasons, one, because I had read the book, 
one because I had a borderline illegal crush on Penelope Ann Miller. Um, <laughs> thanks to have it see if you've never seen Carlito's Way, uh, you ought to because it's a really good movie. It's a good De Palma movie. More than that, it it has some quality Penelope Ann Miller. Uh, at a time in her life where she was one of the the prettiest people in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and I also like Time Sizemore. So you you put all of that together, uh, and I know for a fact, oh, this is going to feature a monster what eats people's brains, <laughs> and and I was there, and uh, I and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. I I, I think this is a movie that uh, because I am partial to creature features, which is why I've been lucky enough to be on this show two times. Uh, <laughs> but also uh, maybe three, technically yeah, three, three times now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but because of my love of that kind of movie, I was predisposed to liking a movie like this, but it's got some good performances in it and it's got a good vibe to it. And I, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I still, even watching it the other night in preparation for this, I still really like it. And and I have a good time. Um, I, I like to, the, you know, this was a movie that was great to, you know, uh, turn out the lights and, and lay back on the couch and try to keep my dog from taking my spot and uh, and watch this movie that, um, you know, it takes a while to get where it's going, but once it, it ramps up, it, it is a fun creature feature, and there is maybe not a, a, a subgenre of horror I like more when it's done with just a little bit of artistry, and and this one certainly is. Very nice. Uh, Derek, why don't you come on in and tell us what you think of The Relic? Yeah, The Relic's a movie I saw... Right when, you know, it came out on cable, maybe 97, I think a little later than when it came out in theaters. I'm not really too sure when it was released on cable back then. But it was just a movie that kind of intrigued me. You know, it was kind of like one of those first movies where it was like, wow, it's like a journey movie where, you know, you. It's, I kind of compare it to the original Rodan where the Rodan started out as a murder mystery where, you know, like who's killing these people in these mines. And then, you know, you get a little more clues and, you know, then Rodan turns into a killer bug movie. And then all of a sudden it's a killer giant fucking bird movie. (laughs) You know, this movie has only two steps though. Maybe that third step would have made great for this type of movie, especially with the runtime. But, uh, yeah, I still dig it. I do think there are some slow moments on rewatch of it. And, you know, some of the CGI does not hold up. I, I, some of it, especially in the more darker scenes, the CGI when, you know, the monsters run into the dark museum, I think look okay, you know, for the most part. But, you know, there's one scene in particular where the CGI looks fucking awful. <laughs> and me and Mr. Venom know what that is already because we, we talked about it already. But, uh, you know, it's funny because I can say that now. But, uh, you know, I like the performances. I like the, like the drama between, like, you know, you know, maybe the some stuff with Penelope Ann Miller's characters kind of could have been cut out of the movie. But, you know, I still like it for what it is. You know, Tom Sizemore's fun. 
Uh, the great James Whitmore is fun in the movie too. It's great seeing him because uh, he's a alumni for Creature Comforts. He was in the movie then, so it was fun to see him <laughs> in this movie. It's just a fun little piece of nostalgia. I remember watching this movie. Is it perfect? I mean, I kind of would bow on this. No, it's not, but I still enjoy it for what it is. Uh, Don, why don't you come in and let me know what you think about the relic? I was like Derek. I I saw this pretty much when uh, it came to cable. It was one of like the first film, um, one of the first few films I saw when I kind of got into uh, the genre and started uh, diving in and seeing what other uh, stuff was out there. Um, I I liked it a lot more back then. Um, a lot of the you know. The, the, a lot of the antics uh, didn't really bother me as such, especially a lot of the uh, the first half, which is uh, a little bit more crime scene investigation and uh, police procedurals. I really wasn't that concerned, just because a lot of it was kind of uh, interesting, and I liked a lot of the a lot of the connections that were made, and a lot, you know, a lot of where it went. I, I was kind of into some of the you know early attacks were kind of just there, not really necessarily doing much, but. When the film picks up steam and it gets to the, you know, halfway point and the creature starts attacking and, uh, you know, it does what you came there to watch, it, it gets really fun. A lot of that stuff is uh, a lot of a lot better than what you'd think. Uh, mainstream creature features, not necessarily one of the bright spots just because there's not a lot of uh, stuff that goes on in there. But this gets a lot of it right. And a lot of it's based on uh, one of the finest creature designs ever um that thing just looks absolutely amazing i love that reptilian look at reptilian look the uh tribal designs a lot of the you know ornamentations that are put on it and uh you know you can't go wrong with mandibles <laughs> so uh you put that together and uh, the creature looks amazing would have wished there was a little bit more practicality just because some of the early cgi just doesn't really hold up as much uh derek kind of hit one of the big scenes uh, again. I know where he's talking about because we've done this before, but <laughs> some of the other scenes are kind of uh, just below uh, the CGI in terms of uh, realisticness and just uh, it looks a little way too splotchy in points. But overall, I, I think I have a, enough fun with it to really to not say it's a bad film, but it, it's worthwhile for a creature feature fan. Uh, if you can get past the first, I would say the, Maybe the first 45 minutes, and then the, it kind of starts picking up from there. But, yeah, it, it it's not bad. It, it's fun for what it is. But, you know, like you guys said, uh, you know, there's better stuff out there. But eh, I, I, I've seen much worse. Oh, yeah. So for me, I, along with Bo, did see this in theaters. And I remember enjoying it. I remember really liking it, thinking it was pretty good for a big-budget Hollywood creature feature. Uh, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Had some great visceral kills. I remember it being really dark in the theater, but of course, when you're sitting in a theater in a totally darkened room, you, you're still able to see everything. The slightest bit of illumination will show off whatever's on the screen. But when I watched this about a year later on VHS, I did a complete 180 on the movie. I ended up not enjoying it. And it's just a limitation of the VHS format. Uh, the, the, because the movie is so dark... And the transfers on VHSs are not like, you know, by any stretch, Blu-ray transfers, along with the limitations of the media itself. I mean, you're, look, you're looking at quarter inch 
uh, magnetic videotape that does wear out. So, you know, especially when a popular movie comes out back in the day, it would get rented multiple times the first few months it would be out. So by the time you got it, it would kind of look like shit. And that's kind of what I ended up with when I rented it. And I ended up not watching it for over 20 years. I left it alone because the last memory I had of it was just not being able to see anything. Now, on this watch uh, for this episode, after I believe it was Derek that picked this movie, I, we went ahead and watched it on HBO Max. And that is a, a that's an HD transfer, probably very similar to the Blu-ray. So I was once again able to see everything. I didn't really have too many problems seeing um, some of the darker scenes as, you know, I can turn off the lights in my house and I have a big screen. So it, it all looked really, really nice. And I kind of once again did another 180 on the movie where now I'm kind of back to where I was originally, where I did enjoy it. Now, for me, the highlight of this movie is our creature. The creature design on this thing is impeccable. Um, I love quadrupeds. It, you know, it's got a reptilian uh, tail. Uh, it's got a little bit of fur, like on top, almost like a lion's mane. It's got mandibles, like an insect. It almost has like a praying mantis type face, grasshopper, whatever you want to go with. Hell, you could even say predator. It, <laughs> it kind of looks like to like it's a mixture of a be if Toad from the Super Mario Brothers movie, fucked a beetle. I can go with I, that. I, also, there is that dash of predator. I, I like yeah. that as well because it's got kind of a predator mouth. And exactly. also the self-destruct button. <laughs> yeah. Return of the CGI stone. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and, oh, don't think I won't get on this soapbox a second time, but uh, just for the record, those people that tell you that VHS is the best format, they can go right to hell. That is... That that is uh it is a lie i don't know if they're telling themselves that lie or they're just trying to tell the rest of us that lie <laughs> but regardless of of who's lying to who it's still a a, a perjurous statement yeah. and anyone who who will stand on or like wants to die on that mountain of like vhs is the best format in the world i don't know why i'm using a prospector voice but it's how they all sound like in real yeah. life. Yeah. Well, back in my day, we would pan for gold and watch a yeah. copy of The Big Lebowski on VHS. <laughs> the Big the Lebowski of all movies. <laughs> Big Lebowski. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the problem with any magnetic tape is that it has a limited lifespan. You know, you're not going to get unlimited plays out of a VHS tape or even like an audio cassette, anything with magnetic tape that you're going to get with a digital format. Obviously with a disc, you kind of have to, you have to keep it safe and scratch free and everything else. But just watching a DVD or a Blu-ray doesn't deteriorate the source, um, you know, the, the, the media with a VHS, like I, especially with collectors, like, you know, I know people who collect VHS and they'll pay hundreds of dollars to get a VHS, and then what's the first thing they do with it? They pop it in a 25-year-old VHS player and watch it, and it's like, dude, you just spent $500 on that videotape. You could literally destroy it on your first watch. Why on God's green earth would you do that? And, yeah, I'm with Bo. Anybody who says VHS is the best format, what the fuck are you even thinking about? 
like objectively, at least with digital formats and, and you know, uh, newer media like DVD and Blu-ray, you're getting better transfers. You're not getting film scratches and, and you know, um, tracking issues and blah, blah, blah. It's like I understand nostalgia. I understand looking back at the things that we enjoyed as kids and looking back at them fondly. I totally understand that. But as an adult, as an objective adult here in 2022, aside from nostalgia, I don't see why anybody would choose VHS over a digital format or a disc format, I should say. So, yeah, I'm right there with Bo. Um, I think so. There is a device. I'm just making the argument for like, okay, well, maybe if you wanted to do that, you can get a device that will allow you to connect those uh rca inputs Mm -hmm. to a usb connector and you could just in theory run a vcr to a a pc to digitize that and i'm sure that there that has been done to preserve you know Mm -hmm. some movies that only exist on that that format or whatever but other than that if if you're doing that i mean for whatever weird nostalgia purposes you have great but if you're watching a vhs player on or a vhs tape on a vhs player connected to presumably a flat screen television Mm. then i mean you're just living an anachronistic life that i can't possibly begin to understand and i'm pretty sure that you're dangerous (laughs) i don't even know what that would fucking look like on a fucking hd yeah, could you imagine like a VCR plugged in RCA into a 4K television? What the hell? Is that like when I watch Redneck Zombies? Yeah. Oh, I look, I like Redneck Zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that I mean, it's it's that you know what what is the it's not 480 that's DVD. What it what is the VHS? I mean, it's not ratio. even 240. It's got to be 4, like 0.5. Zero point zero. What's funny is is that 240 is like the lowest resolution even available today. Like when you buy a new TV, most of them won't even go that low. Uh, YouTube has always been the standard for me for how low because YouTube used to go down to 144. um, Which obviously looked like shit. And now they only go down as far as 240. So at least at 240, oh, 240 looks awful. Yeah, that's the thing. As technology advances, because then 480 is going to look like garbage when 8K Blu-rays start coming out, you know? So if they don't already look like garbage. Oh, yeah. That means 720 doesn't look great anymore, blah, blah, blah. So according to my cursory research, Mm -hmm. the, the format or the resolution of a VHS tape is roughly... 333 by 480. Mind really? Which, mm, I, I mean, don't buy that. I mean, maybe the first time a VHS is played, but even then, yeah, I mean, that, that, that seems that high. First, first time watch that, I, I can buy, but. Because so, yeah, every single time you watch a VHS, it deteriorates the tape a little bit. It may not be noticeable to the human eye, but you are. I mean, you're grinding metal heads against magnetic tape. So, yeah. Well, the, be- the best thing I ever found out is you, when you remove the black thing in the front of the tape, you could re- re-record over it. I'm like, oh, mind blown. <laughs> we were all such great pirates in the 80s. Uh, 
With the two VCRs? Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, you could do your own pirate edit of the, the Relic, where you got rid of all the boring bullshit in the first uh, half hour. And, uh, that's, oh, my version's an hour and 20 minutes. I love it. And just put in penetration <laughs> scenes from Carlito's Way somehow. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment where Penelope Ed Miller is just, like, grinding against a door as the monster is on the other side. And you just turn the monster into Al Pacino. Come here, baby! Take take the shots of Tom Sizemore having sex with Pinky in oh. Natural Born Killers, and then oh, plug, plug those in with Penelope Ann Miller having sex with, uh, what, Pacino in Carlito's Way? And, and just, <laughs> I just realized, too, because we didn't actually talk about this, the, the Asian dude that plays uh, Mr. Greg Lee in this, he was in Kindergarten Cop with Penelope Ann Miller. Yes, Penelope Ann. That's when I liked Penelope Ann Miller. When, uh, she's the mom in that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I will I make you. I will fuck you, Penelope Ann Miller. Now, yes. <laughs> what What does your daddy do? And is he with Penelope Ann Miller? And if <laughs> he is, I will fuck her still. It'll be a sexy three way. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Me and you and Penelope Ann Miller. Oh, terrible. <laughs> All right, so aside from the darkness of the film and you yeah. know, how poorly it suffered on VHS and DVD, um, <laughs> the movie is a little slow for me, I will admit, um, especially in the first half. I am I do like true crime film and, and documentaries and things like that, but I'm not always the biggest fan of when police procedural scenes are kind of plugged into a horror movie. Uh, the example I tend to use is uh, When a Stranger Calls. You, you literally get one of the greatest horror movie scenes ever to start the movie, and then the whole middle of the movie is all police procedural until we get to the end and we get another little horror set piece. Those two horror set pieces in that movie are great, but like I said, you got to deal with like 45 minutes to an hour of police procedural in the middle and it tends to kind of lose steam for me. Yeah, you get to watch Charles Dernan sweat. I'm in it. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, so like I said, and, and I've got some stats here on the film and, like, the creature appearances. Basically, for the first 35 minutes of the film, the only shot of the creature that we get of, is of one of its feet or paws, whatever, as it grabs a security guard from under a bathroom stall. That's literally it for, like, the first 40 to 45 minutes. Then at the one hour and 15 minute mark, mind you, this is a one hour and 50 minute movie. At the one hour and 15 minute mark, we get a silhouette of the creature. We get our first full body like silhouette in darkness. So we're still not getting a good shot of them. But now we can see that it's a large, like, you know, a quadruped the size of like a big lion, you know, uh, well, bigger than a lion, really. So we start to get kind bigger of an idea. a battleship. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, we start to get an idea of like the shape and size of the creature. And then it's not until the one hour and 22 minute mark that we actually get a full on shot of our creature. And for my money, that's just a little bit too long to wait. Um, as I mentioned the first time, I literally sat through the entire length of the film St. Maud before we get to a creature in this movie. And that to me... It's just a little bit too long. I'm the kind of person that believes slashers and creature features should be limited to 90 minutes unless they're exceptional. If it's an exceptional one, and obviously we don't know that until after release, but, it, it, you know, I, I can sit through a two-hour slasher if it's one of the best slashers I've ever seen. 
And how often really is that the case with slashers? So, so a creature feature that's almost two hours, it's kind of a daunting task to want to sit down and watch it. Unless you are a huge fan of this novel or this director or Penelope Ann Miller, whatever the case may be. And I found myself, yeah, kind of drudging along, you know, especially in the second act of this film where it's almost completely police procedural. I'm not going to say that it necessarily brings down the movie. It's still a very good movie, very watchable. You know, even the slower scenes are still, you're still somewhat engaged with these characters, with the storyline. With me, it was definitely the story and wanting to know more about, uh, what was the name? Cthulhu or something like that? Cthulhu? Cthulhu. Whatever the fuck it's Take me to Cthulhu. That sounds good. Um, So, yeah, all the stories about, you know, the god and this god of vengeance that um, who supposedly is the son of Satan, which that sounds kind of cool. So I'm on board. Anytime you have a son of Satan type creature in in a movie, I'm on board. Absolutely. So and then once we get to the third act and we actually get to all the creature stuff, that's when the movie really shines. You know, Don has already kind of mentioned the creature design, just a beautiful creature design. Uh, I totally agree with Don. One of the nicest creature designs in there. The practical stuff, what little practical we do get, looks really, really well done. And unfortunately, the CG is a product of its time. It's 1997. It's, a, it's the 25th anniversary of this film, actually. We just passed it a couple of months ago. And you can tell that it's 25-year-old CGI um, in a lot of the scenes. Now, they do a really good job of utilizing light and shadow to kind of hide the limitations of the CGI throughout most of the film. And that works to their benefit, so I'm totally on board for that. All the dark scenes with the creature kind of walking by all look great. There's no reason to say, oh, that looks fake or whatever. It's really not until the end of the film It really starts to lose it for me. There's a scene where the creature licks Penelope Ann Miller's neck and the tongue is CGI and it just does not look good. I remember even sitting in the theater in 97 thinking, eh, that could look a little bit better. Because don't forget, this is 97. It's three years after Jurassic Park. And obviously, not every CGI movie can be a Steven Spielberg masterpiece by any stretch. But being that it is years after Jurassic Park and and you watch the CGI and it's like, and this is a big budget, you know, Hollywood um, creature feature. There's no reason why they couldn't invest just a little bit more on uh, some of the the CG effects in the movie. And then the tacked on ending, as I mentioned the first time we recorded this, uh, this film was supposed to come out in mid 1996. It was supposed to be a summer 96 release. What ended up happening was the director, Peter Hyams, um, ended up having a test screening, as is the case with most Hollywood films. And during that test screening, when the creature died, none of the audience cheered. It, It was basically just a quiet theater. And in Peter Hyams' mind, you know, for a creature feature to be successful, there has to be some kind of elation, uh, attached with the death of the creature. I 100% disagree. As I've already said multiple times, as I've said twice today, creatures in, you know, 99.9% of the time, the creature in a creature feature is a sympathetic character, you know, be it the wolfman, be it the ants in them, you know, they're not, they're not evil. They're not purposely trying to plan out the death of humanity. They're not trying to take over the world. It's just, they're working on instinct. They're just doing what they think is natural. The creature in this movie isn't necessarily going out killing people because he wants to kill people. 
he is killing people because of the uh, the enzyme, the growth hormone that's a, that's um, produced in the human hypothalamus. Multiple scenes in the movie where they talk about the hypothalamus, where growth hormones are kind of produced in the body, and that that's what the creature yearns because. Uh, the original leaves that we see in one of the opening scenes in the film, a crate full of leaves with these weird little orange spores on them, basically mutated the creature. And then the only other place that the creature can get the enzymes that are on these plants, on these leaves, is in the human brain, hence why he's killing all these people. Now, the makers of the film definitely hope that you forget that fact at multiple times in the film, because I don't know if you guys noticed, but when they get to the lair of the creature, there's skeletons in there. He's not eating mm -hmm. people. He's not eating flesh. He's eating brains and brains only. And he hasn't been here long, literally days, right? It, it may literally be a day or two since he actually got to Chicago, how the hell are there skeletons in its damn lair? Yeah. Especially yeah. disbelief. You know, I'll allow it, whatever. Well, there were, it looks cool. Ultimately, it does look cool to when they walk in the lair and there's bodies and skeletons and skulls and shit like that. It, it, it works. It, it, it works to make an effective set design. But then it's just that when you think about it, it's like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense because he's not eating people. But whatever. Okay. I'll allow it, like I said. So. Well, and th there are. I mean, I'm I'm trying to invent a backstory for this movie okay. that doesn't bother uh, to do it uh, on its own. <laughs> but, you know, you do have that homeless guy living down there. So in theory, there could have been other people who were living sort of in that s space below the museum. And it was just feeding on, on them, kind of like chuds. Maybe it was eating chuds. Eh, that I could accept, maybe. I would have been a great crossover. Yeah, it could have been a fun film. I would have been. That's a movie that. I would sit through, absolutely. Relic versus Chud, coming soon to a theater near you. Hell, the thing that, after I rewatch this, I'm like, I want to see this monster fight the monster from the host. Ooh. The, the monster from the host is way bigger, though, isn't he? Yeah, he can, yeah. Take out, he can take out an arm, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Did anybody else get the, like... Early in the movie, like when the kids are getting to the museum and we get those first few shots of the museum, was anybody else getting Jurassic Park vibes? Like it felt like Jurassic Park to me. Well, actually, thing. Uh -huh. actually, I was getting vibes of another movie from the same year called Mimic, which has a lot of scene with kids. And the only thing that kind of pisses me off about this movie, too, is they don't do what Mimic didn't kill the fucking kids off. Yeah, that was a little disappointing, especially because for our last episode, we did Alligator, where they where the alligator triumphantly chomps on a child and is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh, yeah. This one, this one played it a little safe with the kids. It doesn't make sense that two, you know, teenage boys somehow survived an evening with this creature locked in a museum while a grown ass security guard, granted, who was smoking a joint. But still, you know, he gets taken out. Maybe kids don't have the enzyme. See, maybe they, maybe there was like a cut, a cutout scene or something where they explained that until you turn eighteen, maybe you're not producing enough of that enzyme for the creature to notice you. Huh? Maybe I just wrote their fucking. I just wrote one plot point for their movie. See, boom, done. And I know, and that's why he didn't kill the other dog because he tasted the dog. He's like, oh, this doesn't have the enzyme at all, so that's why the other dog lived. 
Did anybody else? I, I meant to mention that earlier. Did anybody else? It, was it just me because I love animals, or did anybody else get incredibly sad in that scene where the dog watches its owner or its handler get killed by the creature, and he's literally just staring, almost shaking, because he knows he can't do anything. That he knows it's pointless to attack this monster that'll swallow it whole. But he doesn't run away either. He just sits there with the saddest fucking dog eyes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. yeah, he's terrified. He's absolutely terrified. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that scene really struck me. Just like the dog with no bark and alligator. Man, I, I really, being married to a veterinarian for 26 years has really fucked up my... Hey, uh, it, it, it's really it, done a number on you. Hey, yeah. in my sure. fan fiction for this movie, Tom Sizemore is going to adopt that dog because he just lost custody of his other dog. Oh, oh, hey, I like that. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, that's going to happen. That could have been like a nice little uh, tender moment there at the end of the movie. The dog comes out of the museum mm. and slides for takes him home. God damn it, we've already written a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and that's when the chuds show up. And then, and, the, uh, and then you just see the dog just ate a leaf. I'm like, oh, no, it starts. Oh, <laughs> oh, man, yeah, you don't need a dog strung out on... Jungle mutation berries or whatever. <laughs> oh God, yeah. If you think dog food's expensive, imagine a German Shepherd with that shit in him. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, see, I mean, John Whitney was bad enough. <laughs> there's the sequel. You know, Relic Two. Then she comes home. To <laughs> <kill>. <laughs> oh, that's great. I like it. Yeah, let's talk about some of the performances in the film. Um, Bo, I mean, any performances kind of stand out for you? Anybody that you think shines here? Yeah, I, Linda Hunt's really good in this like, as the, the museum curator who is sort of both, like trying to have it both ways where she's definitely wanting to get this murder solved in the museum, but also is trying to get it wrapped up because they have this big gala and that's where, you know, they get most of their money. And... She is definitely on the side of Penelope Ann Miller as opposed to Greg the asshole <laughs> who's trying to get the grant money from the Blaisdells. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Jurassic Park earlier, and this movie is kind of like with Penelope Ann Miller, what if Ellie Sadler uh, from Jurassic Park was <laughs> mean to everyone? <laughs> what if Dr. Sadler was a bitch? And you yeah. know what, even better if, if fucking... Uh... Greg Lee was played by B.D. Wong. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. It would have been a little bit better. Uh, but, I mean, I feel like every movie should have B.D. Wong in it. Yeah, uh, hell yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, I, I, I think she's good in it, but I think that her character is a little too acerbic. You know, like, mm -hmm. I mentioned this before, but th that moment she gives Tom Sizemore a lot of shit for her storming into the crime scene and her argument is like why didn't you stop me and he's like i because i'm doing a job i'm not here to be your chaperone to make sure that you don't see traumatic things through the course of your day <laughs> that is that's up to you that is your job yeah uh, the mere fact that she can even walk up to a crime scene seems kind of a fail on the police in general like is it supposed to be courted off or whatever i mean even if it's in, well, in her well, office well, to be yeah. fair, I think uh, they actually grabbed her to uh, see Tom Sizemore because he was looking to talk to because she was the last right. one to sign out of the museum. Mm -hmm. It It is a good scream on her part, though, when she's like, hey, Tom Sizemore. Oh! <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we finally found out who's the voice of the giant da- queen ant and fucking Empire <laughs> of the Ants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's another thing this movie could have used is a hypno ant. Yes. Oh, uh, you know what would have been? You know what made this movie better for like, like I said, like the three act structure of the progression. If they had like, because you had that scene with the giant beetle. Why couldn't they have like a scene where there are a bunch of giant beetles running around too? That's true. Well, but you did. Out. There, there was the the beetle that got into the the business that yeah, she had, but to, had more. And yeah, okay. like attack custom. Exactly. Like, we could have had a scene where maybe a few beetles got into that crate. God forbid, maybe laid some eggs and then they somehow get out of the crate in the museum. It could have been a great scene with just a bunch of little beetles. Well, not little, but, you know, puppy dog sized beetles running around taking people out. I mean, in Cloverfield, we had the ticks. You know, Clover wasn't the only antagonist of that film. They had the, mm-hmm. the ticks as well, which added a great element when you had that subway scene. So maybe something like that could have been effective here, but. For what it's worth, I did like that beetle scene. She squished the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like that crazy scene in Return of Godzilla with the giant head li- Godzilla lice. Yes, mm. the lice, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, it, it's like if the bay only had one creature. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Oh, man, I forgot about the bay. Mm. That's found footage, too, isn't it? it oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, me and, and Bo love our found footage. <laughs> it's not it's not great but I've seen yeah. it a lot I actually enjoy it I mean I won't say it's great either um, but I really enjoyed it I, I thought it worked out really well yeah yeah so. I, I've, I've got a weird affinity for that movie as well but yeah yeah every time I watch it I'm like is this is from the director of Rain Man what the fuck <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah that Barry Levinson was just like what if I just make a movie where a 4th of July celebration goes horribly, horribly wrong? <laughs> I like it. Um, as we do have two co-hosts here with us who have read the book, I thought it might be interesting to talk about maybe some of the differences. I know we've already kind of highlighted a couple, but um, as I have not read the book, I'm curious to know what maybe was changed in the book. So Bo or Derek, whoever wants to chime in, why don't you talk about a little bit about the differences between the book and the movie? Well, I I should mention this because I didn't actually mention this the first time we did this. Because <laughs> you'd mentioned the six weeks mock of like when the you know when the boat actually comes into the harbor mm-hmm. or Lake Michigan or wherever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the book, it's actually seven years. Oh wow! Go by. See, that makes sense because it, they make it seem like. Uh, you know, Doctor Whitney literally went from human to this creature in like the, the however long that boat ride took. Which do they even tell us? It yeah, I think they do mention it at some point, but it's not that long. It's like oh, yeah, he's been there for three or four months. Yeah, because it was like because in the book it starts in uh, eighty seven. That's when Whitney's in like the mm-hmm. jungles and stuff. Then it goes to ADA when the shipments are actually going on to the boat. And then it goes to present day. Yeah, Interesting, yeah. That that definitely could have changed a little bit of how I looked at it. Because it just felt like it was just one of those rapid mutations, you know. Yeah. They don't really let you. Yeah. We don't spend a lot of time on the boat. So maybe if we would have spent a little bit, not that I want this movie to be any longer, but maybe if we'd have spent a little bit more time on the boat, I would have had more of that sense of, you know, time that has passed. So no biggie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and it would also make more sense why the fucking boat took so long to cross to the Chicago. <laughs> to go but, from Brazil to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get into that, uh, I'll, I'll do some other minor like changes. Like the one of the other major changes is they actually combined Tom Sizemore's character with two characters because there was a FBI agent that was also involved, which actually was one of the main like series involved in this FBI agent. He was introduced in the book, uh, the relic as a sub character, but then became like the main character as that series of book series progressed. If that makes sense. And then later on, you know, other things, minor changes of, people dying because uh actually greg lee or i think he was actually japanese in the book so his last name's different in the book as well mm-hmm. so you know he doesn't die and dr frock who is james whitmore's character also does not die in the book and it's a little bit more carnage you know there's you know it still has that investigation element to it mm-hmm. it's it's faithful in that sense but they just kind of subdued it down a little bit to make it more compact for a movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, any time a book gets uh, adapted into a film, you're going to be losing a lot of that book. I mean, what, what did Bo say? 450 pages? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Like a, that's like a three to four hour movie if they actually did everything yeah, the in be- there. Yeah, the Beast from Peter Benchley's miniseries, you know. There you go, yeah. So. Um, uh, Bo, you want to chime in on that topic? Anything else that you wanted to bring up between, uh, you know, the book and the movie? Yeah, the, the, the combination of characters is, is really a big one. It hits most of the same beats, but I think the book get, I mean, obviously has more time to, you know, uh, follow those parallel stories of here's the investigation. Here's what's going on at the hospital or hospital at the museum. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about how, bad my kidneys are um (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna need to go to the hospital before the end of this um but uh you know there there are those parallel stories and and that meets at the end of this big gala when there's just murder and mayhem and and if memory serves in the book the end is much more murder and mayhem yeah and and i think that's just the nature of a movie though right Like, like you've got a couple of uh, some of my favorite moments are when like the cops come through the ceiling and are <laughs> yeah. just like, Hey, we're, we're in here to save the mayor. Oh shit. Everyone give me, give me back up. Give me back up. Yeah, uh, black dude's like, get me the fuck out of here yeah. now. Turns out that, that it's all fucked up down here. We don't, uh, you need to go through the front door. Um, yeah. So that, that's really, really fun. Um, but I think the book does get a little, just it, it's just bigger in scope, right? It's just there's more chaos, there's more, you know, monster chomping and things like that. But for the purposes of a movie, it makes sense to kind of pare that down so that you're you're focused more on your heroes and the characters that you know, as opposed to you know, in a book you can introduce a character and kill them, you know, two minutes later. Uh, or two pages later, as opposed to a movie where it's like, okay, who was that guy again? Why was I supposed to care that he got his head ripped off his body like that? Oh <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, there's Dave. And the only reason I'm like, I knew one character cause it was fucking David Preval, you know, the character actor. Oh, yeah. It's David Preval. There you go. <laughs> so yeah. So it, it's, it, it's interesting 
you know, to see that adaptation happen. But I think it gets most of the beats. You know, it's still it, it's essentially the same story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so I don't I don't think that that's. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think there was a big uh, 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 this giant diversion um, between you know what you see. I, yeah, go ahead, Derek. I will say this: like this is another kind of like confusing complaint. I didn't notice this monster was in different places at a very short time span <laughs> in this movie. It, like, it, it, yeah, like in a moment, like he's in the fucking middle of like the exhibit area. And then five minutes later, he's where James Whitmore was. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he yeah. probably created his own tunnel system. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Jason Bourne. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he made his own tunnels. I like it. Let's talk about some of these effects. Um, I actually thought the effect with the security guard, I thought it looked, looked really nice. Like the aftermath, obviously, we don't get yeah. to see the kill, but like his detached head and how. 99% of the time when we see a decapitated head, it's always like a clean cut, almost like a samurai took it off. But not here. Here we've got like part of the shoulders still connected to the head. And, you know, he's got this look of absolute terror on his head. Obviously his brain is missing. They found most of his brain at the crime scene, but obviously a very important part of the brain was missing, which kind of leads uh, Lieutenant DaCosta to, you know, kind of put the scuttled ship that showed up with no crew, put that together with, you know, clues that he's seeing at the uh, at the museum. Um, I actually do like Tom Sizemore's lieutenant character. I think he's fairly intelligent, open to other ideas. I, I you know, because of all the true crime shows that I watch, I do tend to kind of have the um, impression that police ha- kind of have tunnel vision as soon as they have a suspect, they just kind of go after. They, they forget about even looking at other suspects. And once they've arrested a suspect, it's like, that's it. All their effort goes into convicting that person rather than maybe, you know, continuing the investigation to see if they actually have the right person. So to see Tom Sizemore's character, you know, be the only one who was skeptical of this, you know, octogenarian homeless man living in the museum who's somehow was able to rip the head off a 50 year old black man. Just, yeah. Uh, I give him, I give the character credit for that, for just, you know, smelling that something wasn't right, right from the start. And then of course the, you know, the kills, God, some of these kills are spectacular. So, but one Mm -hmm. of some of the best decaps, the one, the one in particular with the, with with the SWAT team member, holy shit. I mean, it, it is an uncut decapitation. Like, it's not a cutaway. It's not off screen. Literally, it is in your goddamn face the entire time. The monster grabs this guy, slowly wraps his mandibles around his neck, bites it off while biting the back of his head. Like, the mandibles basically take the head off, and then the mouth of the creature, you know, bites the back of the head to get the brain out. I I think that just looks so amazing. It's got to be a match cut or something, right? Because I... I I just can't. That's the only way that you can pull that shot off. But you're right. It's fantastic. It's a great kill. Yeah, yeah especially from a, you know, like a theatrical horror film. You don't expect to see, you know, viscera like that. And that was impressive. Yeah, yeah that works, too, with like because Peter Himes, if you didn't know this, he actually shoots all his own movies. He yeah, he's re- also his cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Some of the shots of the monster in this, you know, in it's 
you know, I I actually like that. You know, you know, I like a lot of that. You know, I'm actually a fan of cinematographers that are also directors, like Nicholas Rouge and shit like that. So yeah, I agree. That shot's fucking great. Just the fucking uh, and this is also the scene where the black guy that's coming down the ropes like, okay, pull me back up, pull me back up now, <laughs> motherfucker. I've seen horror movies before. I know what happens. To yeah, I've <laughs> to know what's going to happen next. Um, it's pretty interesting too because then when they pull him up, uh, he's been cut in half. His bottom half has basically been bitten off or torn off, however you want to look at it. And then the scream that the SWAT team member lets out is one of the funniest parts of the whole goddamn movie. I don't care. It's like one of the most over-the-top hammy screams where he, like, looks up at the sky and he's like, ah! Just, oh, my God. I I couldn't help but laugh my ass off. Uh, Granted, I have no idea how I would react if I saw a human being cut in half, but goddamn, I hope I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... I, I do like the fact that this movie is not shy about getting gruesome mm-hmm. and having just bits of brain around and, you know, skulls chewed out and whatnot. It, you know, if you're that, uh, that's one of the, the things about the movie that's a bit like dichotomous mm-hmm. um, is that you have that happening at the same time. You're also trying to, you know, have this movie that's kind of saying something about the effect of money on museums and stuff like that. It's like, well, I mean, you're not, I get it. You're, you're, you're saying something, but also hmm, like (laughs) you're, I, I preferred this other movie where people's braids are getting chewed out. (laughs) Exactly. Starship troopers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but, But Starship troopers is smart in a way that it uses the schlock to kind of make its point. Yeah. And this movie is trying to be a little more highfalutin than that. Oh, I want to see the relic directed by Paul Verhoeven. Now. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be dirty and sleazy and trashy and I would love it. Uh, yeah, potentially it definitely wouldn't be as polished as this one. And you know, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you are. Absolutely. Um, and hey, Linda Hunt survives the the tiniest person in the movie who's practically a chicken McNugget to this monster, and she survives. So that's it's that's a, pretty awesome. It's probably why she survives. Is like her uh, hypothalamus is you know an acorn. <laughs> but who wouldn't who wouldn't love seeing like Linda Hunt ride this monster? <laughs> like, oh was, my god! That's the finale we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> like she was Boba Fett at the end of the Book of Boba Fett riding the Rancor. Oh. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, except a million times better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I would pay good money to see that one. Ab- oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would pay I would pay good money to watch Linda Hunt ride any number of mythical beasts. <laughs> yes. Oh, the relic for one of uh, the Bantha, host. Um, the host. Uh, one, story. Of, one of them uh, skeleton dragons <laughs> from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I will say, and I don't know if anybody else agrees with me on this one, the two comic relief cops started to kind of wear on me toward their their constant jokes towards each other, though comical at first. I don't know. It it started to annoy me after a while. Is is that just me? No, um, I've never been a fan of uh, comedic police officers in film in general. Mm. It's just that's not the type of position where I want 
um, comic relief, just because it makes me feel like, you know, these people survived Police Academy, really? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Unless you mean the Police Academy movies, in which case they'd be right at home. Yeah, Yeah. what I'm saying is that in in general, I, I don't like cops to be comedic. I mean, I have like a comeback or two to like put somebody in their place just because, you know, that's your job. But if you're just sitting there to like, you know, crack jokes, be ineffective, like look incompetent in general. Yeah. It, to me, that just kind of ruins like the, the whole profession. It's like, you know, these guys got through basic good training. It's like I, I never really think that it, it's funny. I always feel they actually survived. Like how? <laughs> I, I've never been a fan of that, you know, practice in general. Well, you never know. It is Chicago. That's true. I'm right there with Don. I, I you know, I, I understand trying to keep the mood light because you don't want everybody just on edge and screaming and crying. But it's not, it's not like they were telling jokes to the crowd. They were just talking to each other. They they were shooting one-liners back and forth to each other. And, yeah, that shit would just get insipid in a genuine you know, um, situation in a bad situation where, you know, people need to be on point. They need to be on their toes and, you know, to save these civilians, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I'm kind of there with Don. I I understand why it's in cinema. You know, it's, it's just one of those tropes that we kind of have to deal with, but yeah, it, it, like I said, it it kind of started to wear thin towards the end. Especially Um, when that one cop wore that fucking tuxedo with the scruffy. Oh, with the ruffles. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, if you have to ask if I look stupid, uh, yeah, you probably look stupid. Uh, Yeah. I mean, what year was it? 97? 96. Remember, 96. Oh, right. So it's 96. Uh, No one has worn ruffles since, like, the 70s uh, on a a suit or a tuxedo, yet he's asking if he looks dumb. So, yeah. The comic relief definitely kind of fell a little bit flat for me, but I mean, ultimately, this is still a very fun movie. You know, once we get to the third act and we get to all the creature action, it turns into that fun roller coaster ride that we kind of wanted the entire movie to be. You know, the entire museum scene is definitely a high point of the film and all the creature stuff. Did we did we talk about the uh, the tacked on ending <laughs> in this recording? Yeah, no. we did. Okay, did we? I yeah, don't know. Oh, okay. in the beginning, you beginning, we did. Okay, we cool, cool, yeah. Because we talked about, like, you know, the scene that was tacked on, this terrible CGI fire. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, I mean, it's a flat circle. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the movie has its limitations. E- even though it was a big budget movie in. In uh, in 96, you could obviously tell that a lot of the budget went towards the actors and obviously, you know, high quality cameras and editing and everything else. And Stan Winston's paying paying Stan Winston. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) And the creature itself. But, man, some of that CGI just really, really it's just unfortunate. You know, I I don't want to sit here and say it's bad or that it takes me out of the film necessarily, but. It is definitely unfortunate that they couldn't spend a little bit more money on it. And then with that tacked on ending that they had to do for, you know, only $200,000, which, you know, sounds like a lot of money. But, I mean, if it's a scene that's basically filled with a CGI creature on fire, 
I really hope that the majority of that money would go towards the effects, but, you know, we see the end product and it is a little unfortunate. I may have enjoyed the original ending a little bit more, especially because of the way that I look at the creatures in a sympathetic way when when I watch a creature feature. Uh, ultimately, the movie has its, you know, um, its limitations and, you know, maybe things that weren't as effective as others, but overall, a fun ride of a good looking movie. Like, like I, uh, watching it this time, I was actually, I mean, it almost looked 4K watching it on hbo max like it's very clear really nice looking so yeah, always, which doesn't do any favors for that for the cgi exactly yeah it's yeah. like oh that it's especially glaring because that stan winston stuff does look so good and and there are some there is some decent cgi in this sure oh yeah oh uh, i, I don't want to make it sound like like i hate it all definitely yeah, because it's still coming. You know, it's two years after Jurassic Park, OG mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. So it's it, there. There is some good stuff. But, yeah, that, you know, fireball puppy that's coming at you at the end of the movie. <laughs> he's just like, running down the stairs. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah right. exactly. It's <laughs> like you're, you're not <laughs> mad. You're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Relic, I, I, your mother and I exactly. need to have a talk with you. We're not angry. We're just very disappointed. And, and, it just ends with, and it also ends with it just exploding into CGI stone pieces. Oh, God. That, and, and the CGI explosion, which actually I'm going to reference another movie from the same year, looks almost as bad as some of the CGI in Event Horizon. I love oh, Event yeah. Horizon. I absolutely adore that film. I'm never going to badmouth it. But the CGI sometimes is not great. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you know the explosion. It just doesn't look awesome. Yeah, they feel... make up for it for Sam Neill with no eyes. Oh, absolutely. I feel so stupid that I just learned literally this past week that Clyde Barker was an uncredited consultant on Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I never knew. And then once I heard that, I was like, oh, well, of course he was. He's like, <laughs> it's, the, it's the better version of Hellraiser Hellbound. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It is Hellraiser for the good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hellraiser did go to space, didn't oh, he? God oh, damn it. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I forgot. I yeah. mercifully had forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me remind you about the Lament <laughs> Configuration Space Station. No, please used don't. Used to capture Pithead <laughs> in space. Oh. No. So. All you need to know is go to Hellraiser in the hood. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, some casino uh, whole scene with uh pinhead making people's boobs bigger and <laughs> is it is that that leprechaun that's yeah, leprechaun three yeah okay. yeah I'm just trying to rem- make sure i've got my <sighs> nonsense sequels correct uh, well, i can understand your uh, confusion seeing as how that was actually just done in uh faust loved of the damned which was kind of around the same time yeah, and I oh my god, Faust Love. I just the damn is, mind them dumb. Because I just heard that episode yesterday. <laughs> oh man, that is a movie that just the stink of it just clings to you. It's oh. so bad. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's just uh, how far along uh, your back catalog I am. I just had to make that reference. I, now he's got to find a way. Now he's got to find a way for Bo to do fucking Rottweiler on Pick Six movies. Rottweiler <laughs> is not that bad of a movie, though. I actually kind of like it. Yeah, it's Dante's Inferno with a robot Rottweiler yeah. and Paul Nashi. <laughs> in fairness, in August, my plan is to do nothing but dog-based movies. 
Oh no. Yes. And, and so if if you have any uh particular like I definitely want to do Devil Dog Hound of Hell. <laughs> you have to do way. what and probably you're gonna bet one of them's gonna be an earbud movie, right? Uh, he said horror, not horrible. Yeah, I mean, Oh yeah, I <laughs> No, man's not for best friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oh. man's best friend. Man's best friend, probably. Um, the breed. The Maybe breed. More. I have a. Play or, dead. Yeah. Play dead. Play dead. Play dead. Play dead. Okay. Yeah, play okay. dead's great. Play dead. Play yeah, dead. that's a good. That would be a good conversation. And Rottweiler would be like that. Should be the finale where Chad just hates you. <laughs> Look, I, we're already in a season where we're doing nothing but bombs, and I made him watch John Carter, and oh, wow. I don't, I don't think we're talking anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't talk to you either. Holy shit! <laughs> I made it twenty minutes into John Carter, and and I literally said I'd rather have eye cancer than watch more of this movie, so I left. You know, it, it's funny because he doesn't. It, it, this is why we're not talking. Well, I mean, we're talking, but this is why he's mad at me. Is he doesn't like fantasy films in general. Oh, and so <laughs> I, it was like, okay, here's one that doesn't explain anything. It's just a bunch of CGI nonsense and a bunch of you know, like I like a good like Conan or I just you know I just saw The Northman. And oh, like that's a good, you know, it's rooted in reality, but it's kind of a fantasy film in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's rad, it's great, but but in like and Chad wouldn't like that, much less here is the shitty version of this with some dude who can't act on Mars. The yeah, the guy <laughs> from fucking Battleship. Yeah, or, or you know what? What is his name? Riggins from Friday Night Lights. Is that who it is? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on Mars with a bunch of people kind of red and, and like I read the, the book the CGI'd Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Oh man. And I read the book that it's based on and it's like, Oh, well this is kind of interesting. I mean, it's, you know, the, the guy who wrote Tarzan and that kind of thing. Um, so it's of its time to be sure, but the movie just is, it's overcomplicated in a way and also sets up a sequel that you're just like, I no, thank you. I don't want any more of this. I didn't want. I didn't want what you served, much less the second course. And <laughs> it's uh, yeah, John Carter's a real piece of crap. I know we're not talking about that on this show, but oh, thank God, here we are. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of a creature feature because there's a bunch of stupid monsters, and you know, well, one of them's Will and the Foe. <laughs> yeah, and lizard dogs. There's a lizard dog running around in that thing. Yeah, and then the, then there's Brian Cranston out of nowhere. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in this movie, Brian oh, Cranston? Well, I didn't make it that far, apparently. Brian Cranston <laughs> is in it ten minutes more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, not bad. All right, um, Bo, do you have any uh, final comments or uh, statements about the relic before we take off for the second time? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a good time. This is a real hometown favorite for me. Um, I know that I, I can recognize its flaws and I, I can kind of just as quickly dismiss them because I like the vibe of this movie. And I, there's something kind of fun about the idea of a monster loose in a museum. That's kind of a cool idea. I think that whole sequence where Penelope Ann Miller is in the exhibit, you know, prior to it opening mm-hmm. and hears something moving and kind of gets spooked and runs out. I think that's kind of fun. 
Um, I wish those kids on the stairwell had been eaten. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's a good time. It's a you know as we've all said, it's a little overlong and it's a little highfalutin for what it is. If it were ten percent schlockier mm-hmm. and also. Mm, you know, a, a 15% shorter. And, and, and if Penelope and Miller's character was not angry at everyone all the time, <laughs> if at some point she was like, you know what? I really like my job. I'm glad I'm at work today. Um, or something because yeah. she is just, she is put off by everyone and everything at every point in this movie. And, but uh, other than that, I, I, it is fun. I, I've, I always have a good time with the relic, even though I've seen it a bunch of times and I just watched it again for this show. I will almost assuredly watch the relic at some point in the future. Cool. Uh, Derek Dunn, any closing statements? Yeah, I just, I agree mostly with what Bo says, but I would also add, just add B. E. Wong to this movie and it'll be ten times better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it fun. I can do with maybe ten minutes chopped off. Uh, explain some of the inaccuracies and uh, you know how the hell a ship from Brazil ended up in the middle of Lake Michigan. And I mean, I remember that was a big part of our conversation in the first one that uh, we thankfully avoided here for uh, far more intriguing concepts. So I'm glad for that, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you filmmakers, do... filmmakers always hope that their audience isn't ultra aware of certain things, be it geology, geography, physiology, you know, how the human body works. I mean, that's how horror movies kind of work. They're, they're hoping that the ignorance of the audience will kind of help the entertainment value. And generally it does. You think yeah, if, if I... there was a test that if you scored too high, they wouldn't let you into this movie? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Imagine. But the thing is, is that if you score high on it, you're probably the only one who's going to understand half of what Dr. Green is talking about with some of her explanations of the yeah, hypothalamus and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the other, really, yeah, the other real, that's the, the big issue with this one is that, yeah, you you need to be smart enough to understand the geological fallacies, but then you're going to be too stupid to, to understand her technical jargon. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's a tale of two movies. Like, one of these movies is real dumb, and that's the one I want to watch. And the you. other one is kind of smart and sophisticated, and I'm less interested in that one. I, I mean, oh. this would be... This would be a fun candidate to see a remake of. Um, I, I think this could be one that uh, I, I would get behind. Uh, you know, you did it right, and you you know you kind of amped up the screenplay in the right areas. I could get behind a remake of this one for sure. Oh, hell yeah! Nicholas Cage as Lieutenant Vincent D'Agosta. John Claude oh, Damn! Don't tease me with a good time. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine Nick Cage rode the monster. Yeah. We've got to get this monster out of the museum. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And then, yeah. then you have then you had Van Damme play his partner. Hey, because oh, <laughs> he works because oh. he, he works with Himes all yeah. the time. Sure, that's true. If he, what if he's a time cop? Oh no! And he's got to come back and work with because we, then we get the two detectives like the book, and, and we we name uh, Degasta. Yeah, is is Nicholas Cage? Yeah, Pendergrast is uh, Van Damme. Van Damme. <laughs> they have to work together to stop the relic monster from disrupting the timeline. Oh, and you, <laughs> oh my god! And you, and, 
And then you just add Schwarzenegger in there for good measure. Yeah, you fucking quiet boy. Can play he, a few he plays the Linda Hunt part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're having the very big dance. <laughs> if you could get this crazy thing monster out of the museum, that would really be great. <laughs> All <laughs> right. It's not going to get any better than that, folks. So on that note, for the second time, uh, Bo, thank you so much for joining us. This may have been more fun the second time around. As much as I hate wasting everyone's time, I'm There's glad we were Arnold able to get impressions. <laughs> yeah. Anything to get a couple extra Arnold impressions in. What the hell? <laughs> um, so once again, Bo, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find your stuff? I'm on the Internet. Um, you can, <laughs> you can go to legionpodcast.com, uh, where you can find my show, the dark parade, as well as pick six movies, uh, all, which, uh, features, of uh, a discussion of the movie Faust and, and nobody felt good about that episode. Um, not the people listening, not the people on the, uh, the episode. I liked it. I brought it up because of it. I mean, yeah, the movie shit, but it was... It was a fun listen. I'll give you that. <laughs> it, yeah, we had a good time. Th- well, even if the dreadful movies I know are going to be bad that you guys talk about, I know that the conversation is going to be fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it. That's a fun show. I do that with my buddy Chad, who I've literally known since kindergarten, uh, and so we have a good time on that one. And and the the premise of that is we take six movies uh, built around a theme. And then we we talk about the movies, but we do a little informational bit up front to tell you a little story about the movie or something related to the movie. And hopefully you learn something before we say a bunch of stupid stuff that makes you dumber for having listened to it. And, um, so I do that show and then I do Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which is a show I do with Duncan McLeish, which uh, you probably know if you listen to this show. And uh, we've been doing that for the past uh, 53 years. Um, we are just watching slasher. Yeah. We are currently two episodes away from finishing every episode of of slasher. And, uh, I just want to say for the record, I was totally right about season four featuring a ripoff of the movie, the orphan. Mm. Um, I, I could not have been more pleased about that happening. And I intend to rub it in Duncan's face for years to come. And then there's the the Dark Parade, which is the main show I do. And uh, the Dark Parade is just a bunch of uh, there's a main episode every week, every Wednesday that drops about uh, movies. And I kind of themed the months a little bit just to to give it a little bit of structure. But it's mostly shit I just want to talk about. And then there are some bonus episodes that go along with that, including Heart of Horror, which is me and uh uh, Kay Pollock from the eternal darkness of the not so spotless mind. I remembered it this time. Nice. And uh, we talk about um, love and sex and romance and movies uh, in the horror genre that have something to do with that. Uh, the the new episode will drop soon on knife plus heart, Ooh. Um, Ooh. which will, will, yeah, it's a great movie and you will get mm-hmm. a story of Kate uh, peeing outdoors uh, naked. Um, so that it's worth it just for that. And then there's, I want to smoke a cigarette now at the end. That that show gets wrong. We have talked about some crazy shit on there that it it happens to everybody, but it's just the kind of stuff that nobody ever talks about because it's embarrassing or humiliating or that kind of thing. And Kate and I just don't have any shame. So we just talk about that stuff. (laughs) Um, so it's a, it's a fun show and, and, uh, I, I, a lot of people seem to enjoy that one. 
Um, and then there's uh, found footage fool, which is me, <laughs> the, the, the one that Venom referenced earlier, which is me trying to uh, make sense of the fact that I watch a lot of found footage movies and I, I apply five criteria to those movies to try to determine objectively whether or not they're actually good movies. And um, and most of the time they're not. Oh, boo. Yeah. Well, but I mean, well, you're not watching Black Wake either, Venom. Yeah, the Black Wake is real bad. Followers also starting. Real bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's well, and Eric Roberts, he's in it for uh, a hot second. Um, yeah, it's you know, I like I. What happens is late at night, like a night like this. I will retire to my bedroom and turn on the Tubi and Tubi is where like that is, uh, you know, when you got a, when you're panning for gold and you're sifting out all the silt and dirt and garbage, that's what drifts down into Tubi. And so that's where I find a lot of these found footage movies. But, uh, you know, there are some good ones in fairness. Like it's not all garbage. Like, uh, uh, coming soon will be, like a conversation about capture kill release, which is a terrific. Oh, that's a fantastic one. Yeah. So it's not all garbage, but the garbage ones uh, people seem to like, because you can just hear my soul withering as I talk <laughs> about black wake. Nice. Did, did you watch a, a high note? Did you ever watch house of a hundred eyes? I haven't watched that one yet. No, uh, that one, uh, that one would be a good one for you to cover. On okay. That. All right, I ain't, I ain't above it. I'm not above anything on that show. And uh, but yeah, and and again, thank you so much for letting me come on and do this because I do love a creature feature. And you know, if if you guys weren't doing this show, I would probably have some other bonus episode all about that. But instead, I just sneak on to here occasionally and talk about monster movies that I dearly love. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much, Bo, for spending your Sunday evening with us. Genuinely appreciate that. And folks, that'll pretty much put a cap on episode eight of Creature Comfort. So on behalf of Don and Derek, I am Mr. Venom thanking you endlessly for joining us and spending your time with us. Join us next month for episode nine. We have no idea what that movie is going to be, but I'm sure we'll pick that one soon enough. Uh, Again, thank you and take care, folks. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. (laughs) Don't eat any foreign leaves. Oh, my God. (laughs) Look out. It's a chud.